Welcome to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. We are continuing our discussion today with staff members of the Quattrone Center for the Fair Administration of Justice. We spoke with Associate Dean John Hallway, who is the Executive Director of the Center. Marissa Bluestein is with us today. She is Assistant Director of the Quattrone Center at the University of Pennsylvania Law School, having been head of the Pennsylvania Innocence Project for 10 years. When she was leading that project, she oversaw 14 wrongful conviction cases. Marissa has received the Andrew Hamilton Award from the Philadelphia Bar Association. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Marissa. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Harriet. It's an honor. Ah, oh, thank you. Tell us what your role is at the Quattrone Center. Well, most of my work at the Quattrone Center is somewhat similar to what I did with the Pennsylvania Innocence Project, except I no longer represent clients. But we're still in that space of working on wrongful convictions. So I work around the country with prosecutors who are setting up or revamping what we call conviction integrity or conviction review units, and then try to help them develop their units in a way that is in following best practices where they can uh, you know, get to be able to review cases quickly and efficiently, but also in an objective way. And I also really help when conviction integrity units and innocence organizations or defense counsel are trying to work together on a case to help work out some of the issues that arise when traditional adversaries are now trying to work together. There are a lot of issues that can arise with that. So that's, that's most of my work at the center. And then I also do a lot of work on issues with false confessions of helping to provide training for law enforcement in interrogation and interview methods that are not as coercive as what we traditionally see here in the United States. Those are my the two main areas of focus. Hmm. Why did you choose to leave your job at the Pennsylvania Innocence Project and become part of the Quattrone Center? Well, I had been at the project at that point since it had founded in 2009, um, and over 10 years had built the organization to what it had become, which was a, a, a preeminent factor in Pennsylvania in the criminal legal system and reform. And we had passed legislation. We had, as you mentioned, 14 exonerations. We had hundreds of volunteers and pro bono attorneys. So I felt that we were at the point where I needed to step away so that the project could be more than just about the founders, um, that it needed to grow on its own. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the Quattrone Center, uh, which with whom I had worked on several projects over the few years of its existence, was looking for someone to run this particular project of working with conviction review units. And since I had experience with that from the Pennsylvania Innocence Project, it just really made sense to kind of make that transition to be able to take the work that I had been doing to a national level um, as opposed to being here in Pennsylvania. So I would say it was um, a combination of that, it was time for me to go and the Quattrone Center was just a perfect place to land. To go to, right. Can That's right. You, here, here's a two-part question. Explain to our listeners what a conviction integrity review unit is and how does it differ 
from an innocence project? Of course. So a conviction integrity or conviction review unit, they're the same thing, they just use mm -hmm. different names, are specialized units within a prosecutor's office that are dedicated to identifying cases of wrongful conviction, investigating them, and in the appropriate cases, helping to exonerate or rectify the situation. So those units started out in, depending on who you ask, 2003 or 2006, and they have grown exponentially over time. So where there was one in the early 2000s, now 2021, by my count, there are about 96 of them mm. around the country. And the units are different from an innocence organization. And I'll say innocence organization rather than innocence mm -hmm. project, because okay. innocence project is a particular organization in New York founded by Barry Sheck and, and uh, Peter Neufeld, and they do work all around the country. But there are about 60 innocence organizations around the country that are all right. independent, like the Pennsylvania Innocence Project. And those are different from a conviction review unit because an innocence organization is a private organization, could be a private nonprofit or part of a law school or have some other organizational structure. But that is set up on the, if you will, on the defense side to be able to directly represent people who have been wrongly convicted. The prosecutor's office doesn't represent anybody. They're not defense lawyers, they're prosecutors, but they can take an active role in investigating and rectifying cases of wrongful conviction. And usually that's done through a conviction review unit. Hmm. All right, that's very clear. Um, now, the you mentioned how many there are in the United States. Are they all very similar or are they different from one another? They really are different from one another. Most of the conviction integrity or conviction review units are run out of individual county or localized prosecuting offices. So Philadelphia, Pennsylvania has a unit. Center County, Pennsylvania has a unit. Chester County, Pennsylvania has a unit. And those are all in from the individual local prosecutor's office. But each of those units, even though they're in the same state, have different focuses. So the Philadelphia unit is a very large unit, it's one of the largest in the country, and it has a broad mandate to look for cases of wrongful conviction. The Chester County office is really more focused on cases of actual innocence. So in other words, they're really looking to find the extraordinary case where someone was convicted of a crime that they did not actually commit. The Center County office is looking more broadly at things like sentencing, inequities, or other issues. So even within one state, the units can have very different focuses. Um, the unit in Wayne County, which is Detroit, Michigan, also has a very broad mandate to look at convictions that aren't just yeah, actual innocence, but wrongful convictions, and that maybe there was a gross constitutional violation or prosecutorial or police misconduct, which now the prosecutor has lost faith in the conviction. They're not saying innocent necessarily, but that the trial that convicted the person was so fraught with, uh, with error that they just don't have, they, don't, they cannot stand by that conviction any longer. Or you can go down to Florida where there are many units 
Most of them are actual innocence focused, but some have a broader mandate. In Minnesota, the Minnesota Attorney General, Keith Ellison, is forming his unit and is quite adamant that it will look at wrongful convictions broadly, as well as resentencing, looking at cases where people were over-sentenced and the sentences should really be reevaluated. And that's becoming somewhat of a trend in offices that have the resources to be able to, to do that. We're seeing more state units, more statewide units, more broadly focused units. Things are seeing some change um, as they're developing around the country. You use the term actual innocence. Can you um, ex kind of explain what that is uh, for our listeners? Absolutely. So when we say actual innocence, and sometimes we say factual innocence, we're referring to cases where an individual was convicted of a crime in which they played no part, right? So I always think that there are two particular cases I think of to illustrate that, that of, of friends of mine, former clients, who I represented here in Pennsylvania. One is a gentleman named Sean Thomas. So Sean was convicted of a murder that happened when he was 17. He wasn't arrested for it until he was 19. But on the day of the murder, at the moment of the murder, Sean was standing in front of a juvenile magistrate because he had been arrested for trying to steal a motorcycle. Two years later, he was arrested for that based on the word of two cooperating witnesses who claimed that Sean was with them committing the murder. There were several eyewitnesses to the murder, none of whom were called by the state to testify, one of whom said he was told that what he had seen was inconsistent with other information the police had developed and so would not be called to testify. None of them were ever asked to identify Sean as one of the murderers. None of them were ever asked to really even describe the person who, who they saw commit the murder. Sean went to trial and was convicted of that, even though he was in court when the murder happened. And that took 28 years to rectify that situation. Willie Veazey is another case of an innocent man convicted of a murder he did not commit. On the night that the decedent was killed, a man named John Lewis, Willie Veazey at that moment was working in a very busy restaurant in Jenkintown, a town about seven or eight miles away from where the murder happened. He was a dishwasher. He was in the kitchen with the kitchen staff on a busy Friday night working. How do we know that? We had time cards mm -hmm. from him working, showing that he was at work. At the trial, some of his coworkers testified. And although they couldn't remember that specific day, they certainly said they would have known if he was not there. And there was never a case of somebody using somebody else's time card to pop in and out of the job. But the evidence against Willie included his own confession that mm -hmm. the police coerced out of him and that he signed and the jury convicted him because of it. Mm. That was took over 23 years oh. to reverse that conviction for Willie to be able to walk out. But both men are now free. 
They're now home with their families and they are moving on with their lives. But those are two good examples of what we say actual innocence, mm-hmm. meaning they were convicted even though they had nothing to do with the crime. Now, when a conviction integrity unit gets involved in a case such as you described and right. they prove actual innocence, is compensation granted because it was a conviction a review unit that uh, overturned the case? Does it matter um, or what? How, how does that work? And does, does Pennsylvania have a compensation law? Well, Pennsylvania does not have a compensation law, right? We do not have a compensation law, Um, but 35 states do. And the the states are a little different. Some states require the prosecutor to to affirmatively sign off that that the the conviction be overturned through a conviction integrity unit or something like that through a prosecutor's office. And the prosecutor has to affirmatively say this person was innocent. Most states, though, only require that the conviction has been overturned on evidence of innocence, mm-hmm. consistent with innocence. And then there's usually a board or a court or some kind of review of the facts of the case to determine whether the person meets that state's compensation standard. The state with the most generous compensation right now is Texas, right. where they have they allow for $50,000 per year of wrongful incarceration, more if it was on death row. There's no limit. It's not taxed. And they are able to get it fairly quickly going through their process. So some states are much smaller in compensation. They have a stricter uh, ability to stricter um, check on whether the person gets it. Uh, but we're hoping Pennsylvania will will pass some kind of a statute like that soon. Um, It's been talked about for several years. With any luck, there might get some traction in the legislature this year, and that would help for the well over 70, I believe, exonerees Mm. who have been, people have been exonerated in Pennsylvania. That's quite a fit, a lot. Um, Just a a little correction there, I believe Texas is out in front with eighty thousand dollars a year thank you for the correction thank you because <laughs> i watched that very carefully it's encouraging that now most of the 50 states have some kind of compensation statute on that's the right in fact even states that have seen no exonerations have come have compensation statutes oh really where in pennsylvania who have had multiples of dozens mm. still does not and where where would the push come from to encourage a compensation law in Pennsylvania? Well, it would come from people who are listening to this podcast. <laughs> it would come from anybody who supports justice. Mm-hmm. I, any person you speak with, I can't think of a citizen in this country who would feel that if you are held at a Kmart for a few hours without being arrested, you can receive compensation for that. But if you are convicted of a crime you did not commit, ripped from your family, held in prison for years or decades, that you are not entitled to something, yeah. that that is a gross injustice. 
And I think it people need to understand that it exists and certainly to advocate for it. I will say that the prosecutors in Pennsylvania do not oppose this. They think mm. it's absolutely the right outcome as well. So I don't think there will be opposition to it once the ball finally gets rolling. Yeah. It's just a question of the legislature's finding the um, political wherewithal to actually get it moving. So as we are almost out of time, I wanted to ask you, what do you see up ahead for conviction integrity units? And then are you encouraged that we'll see some marked changes in the criminal justice system as a result of all these uh, review units? Uh, yes, uh, yes, I do think so, and here's why. Because what I see ahead for conviction integrity units is that it's, it, it becomes not just about rectifying past injustices, as important as that is and critical as that is to the prosecutorial function, but a well-working and a, and a well-funded, well-resourced, well-respected conviction review unit actually can become the beating heart of a prosecutor's office, because it's about learning from those errors. When you have an exoneration, it is incumbent upon the prosecutor not just to pat themselves on the back for having fixed that one case, but to learn about why that case ended up as it did. What were the factors that went into that wrongful conviction? Was it eyewitness misidentification? Was it a false confession? Was it improperly withheld evidence that was exculpatory? Was it bad lawyering? Was it a forced plea bargain? It, whenever there's a, an exoneration, there's an opportunity to learn about the system and how the system failed. And by learning from that, like with a root cause analysis or a sentinel event review, then the office can look back on itself and change the way it does things. It can train the prosecutors better. It can provide different decisions at the time for charging, going to trial, whether to hold that appeal up or not, whether to engage the community in a restorative justice manner when there is an exoneration. There is so much to learn from a conviction integrity unit that when it becomes the engine that drives the change and development within the office, that's what I'm starting to see. And I, because I'm starting to see that more and more, I am very hopeful that these units will drive good, strong, progressive change that will prevent these errors from occurring again. Mm, that's great. Is there, as we close, um, is there anything, any case in particular that you are very proud of or very pleased about, something maybe that was uh, done very recently? Do you mean from cases on which I worked as an attorney or cases that are resolving since then? Uh, whatever you choose. <laughs> well, I, I, I am very proud that we at the Quattrone Center are probably the only resource for prosecutors to go to who are looking to form conviction integrity units. We have a website which we have put up, which is publicly available. Um, anybody can go on and, and read about these units and what are the best practices. But we don't just put that out there. We follow up. We have meetings with 
elected DAs and, and the units themselves or other prosecutors. We review their policies. We review their templates. We help them communicate with pro se defendants. We are really helping to drive the development of these units in a way that is in keeping with best practices. So it's one thing to put out a report that says these are what the best practices are. It's something very different to to be there for prosecutors and help answer their questions and guide their development when they really want to get it done and connect prosecutors one to the other. Um, so by helping in that space, by providing prosecutors with, the, with those very necessary resources and trainings, the Quattrone Center is having a role in seeing these prosecutors' offices develop these units, but develop them well and in a way that will be efficient and help them drive toward that necessary change. Mm, and I'm very great. proud to be a part of that. That's great. Is there anything that you want to add that I maybe haven't asked you? Well, I think that it's there's a misunderstanding that a conviction integrity unit only goes with a so-called progressive prosecutor. Um, that's not true. I mean, we see these these units can go in any office. They are driven by the prosecutorial need to see justice done at all times. And more and more prosecutors are understanding that that's part of their duty as prosecutors, their duty to their the people who elected them, the duty to the people who have been convicted by those office, even if the conviction was 20 years ago or 30 years ago, justice never sleeps and it never mm -hmm. stops. Very and true. so these units are ways that prosecutors can be true to their oaths and understand the need for change um, and have a system that is more responsive, that is better, that has an understanding of prevention of error that we have never been able to have before. That's, that's a wonderful way to end. Well, thank you so much, Marissa, for your perspective on conviction integrity, review units, and telling us about your role at the Quattrone Center. I really appreciate your time today, and I hope our listeners have gained a, a new perspective from what you said. And thank we're you. so grateful for, for the, the opportunity to speak with you, Harriet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And please join us next time for um, other guests from the Quattrone Center to give us their thoughts on their roles at the center. Thank you for listening.